You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. Good morning. Hey, if we haven't met, my name's Bert. I'm one of the pastors here. Guys, thanks for getting up. Thanks for spending your Sunday with us. And you picked a good week for it because, man, we're in the middle of a series right now called This is Jesus, where we're going through the Gospel of John. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and get it out. Open up to John chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. I promised you last week that after three weeks we would get out of John 1. We have arrived in John 2. Uh, if you don't have a Bible before you leave, we got a stack of them right over here. Just grab one, take it home, absolutely free. Our gift to you, no questions asked, no strings attached. We just want to sew that into your life. Now, here's what we've been doing thus far in this series. Thus far, every week, we've taken a different question, and we've just asked it about the person of Jesus. So in week one, we asked the question, who is Jesus Christ? I mean, everybody's got an opinion about Jesus. Everybody thinks like something about him. And so what would those people who were closest to Jesus when he walked the earth say? If they were asked, who is Jesus? And we said unequivocally to John, the author of the Gospel of John, who was Jesus' best friend, he would say God. He would say he was God in a bod. And so like when we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus and we find that out. Week two, we asked, okay, well then why did Jesus come? Like what's, I mean, there's, there's always been religion in the world. There's never been a shortage of that. Why would God need to step into the world and, and do things and live a certain way for 30 plus years? And we said, well, basically there are three reasons. That's what we found. That number one, he came to be our king. That the earth is his and everything in it. And he came to be the leader of our lives. Number two, he came to be the lamb of God. He came to wash away your sin and mine. To die in our place. To be sacrificed so that we could be made right with God. So the judgment that we deserved, he took on himself. And also he came to fill us with the Holy Spirit. He came to make us the people that we were designed to be and be empowered for life. That was week two. Week three. We talked about this idea of who does Jesus want? Does he want religious people? Does he want sinners? Does he want seekers? And we said, yes, all of the above, which leads us to today. Now, I want to set this question up the right way. Something that I love about our church is that we have a bunch of you guys from different points in your spiritual journey. Like Some of you, you've been walking with Jesus for 30, 40, maybe 50 years, and I think that's amazing. And others, you're starting to explore this idea of, okay, is Jesus really who the Bible says that he is and who, who Christians say that he is? And we say, come on the journey. We think that's great. And every now and then we, we get people in the church who maybe they, they were raised in church and they become disillusioned with it. Like they were presented this very simple version of faith when they were a kid and they were taught, like, listen, God blesses good people. He lets bad things happen to bad people. But then they knew some good people or they were good people. And some bad things happened to them. They went, well, this isn't the faith that I was taught because that simplicity works when you're a kid, but it stinks when you're an adult. Last week, I had a, a, a woman come up to me after church. And she asked me this question. And she asked it from a place of absolute sincerity. There was no disrespect in it. Just a sincere, like, sort of questioning things out, wondering some things. And she said, well, like, you talk about following God, but... Why should I do that? Because there's no advantage in it. And I said, really? And I got her, her story a little bit. She said, you know, like, as I think about it, I mean, it just seems like I get nothing from doing this. And I think sometimes we feel that way. You know, I don't judge her for thinking or feeling that. You know, how many of us, like, we can think of 
All the prayers that we've uttered since we were walking with the Lord and how many he hasn't answered. And we wonder, okay, like, is this even real? Does it, like, am I just spouting off into thin air? So I was with another guy months ago, and um, his, he's, a, like, he's a newer Christian. And he came to Jesus at a church that a friend of mine pastors. And what, what led him to the Lord was that my, my friend said, listen, you know, like Jesus can heal anything. He can heal your depression. And he can. And so this guy sincerely goes, well, you know, I'm struggling with depression. Like, I would like that. And so he goes and, and, and he gives his life to the Lord. He's been following the Lord faithfully ever since. But guess what? The depression remains. I mean, why follow Jesus? It just seems like in this culture, there's, there's never a shortage of people who said they were and then... And then their lives just kind of fall apart, and they probably were. I don't know, maybe it's because, like, I, I'm a pastor, and, and these things called cookies exist on the internet, so, like, stories are just sort of tailored to me. But how many times have I seen in my newsfeed this year pastors who committed suicide? People who said, like, listen, there's more to life in Jesus, and they sincerely believe, and they believe they sincerely loved God and loved people, and yet something went south in their lives, and they saw no alternative. I mean, What's up with that? And so today, here's the question that we're going to ask right here. Why follow Jesus? Why do it? I mean, if God doesn't answer every prayer that you have, and listen, we believe that he heals, and we believe that he answers prayers. Okay, why? Why follow Jesus when it doesn't mean that necessarily you're going to be happier all the time? It doesn't mean that, that you're going to like feel better all the time. Like, why follow Jesus in those moments? Because every single one of us, given enough time and faithfulness, will encounter them. Not might, will. We will have prayers unanswered. We will have heartbreak. We will have suffering. We will have things absolutely fall apart. We'll have those moments when we don't live up to the people we wish that we were. And we wonder, am I any different for having followed him? Why follow Jesus? Now, to answer that, we're digging into John. John chapter 2, and we're going to see an answer to our questions. John 2, starting in verse 1, it says this. On the third day... A wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Now, I want to pause on this for a moment because something we have to understand is that weddings in the first century, particularly where Jesus lived, looked very different from weddings that we've experienced. So I want to just sort of set this up so we understand what's happening culturally, okay? For us, weddings go something like this. This is how like, the, the, the whole wedding world works, right? You got a cu- young couple, and they fall in love. Like, oh, I love you. Oh, I love you. No, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. Kiss, kiss, kiss. Right? Like, that's, that's it, right? Okay? And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, that's how I got married. Like, it's fine. Okay? Like, I met my wife. I was like, oh, my gosh, she's the greatest ever. I got to marry you. She's like, okay. Like, it was one of those things, okay? And, and, then, and, then, they, and then they start to organize things. They start to put together their special day. And it becomes all about the bride. Man, you know, it's not wrong, but listen, you're basically just a cake topper. You, I mean, right? Like, it's, it's fine, but you, like, it's really, it's the dress that she's going to wear. It's the atmosphere that she wants to create. It's the environment. And, she, and, then, and then if she asks you questions about helping with it, you should never say, sure, whatever you want. Worst thing you can do. Right? Like, what, 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 who should we use for the caterer, babe? Whoever you want. Like, you don't care. No, I do. I just, well, I don't care about that. Like, but, it's, but no, because it's all about the bride, right? And the day comes... Everybody's together, and they're ready to celebrate. 
And what happens? There's the procession. How did the groom get there? I don't know. He's just kind of on stage all of a sudden. We don't know. Like, could have thrown out smoke bombs and just appeared, but he's just there. That's not what it's about. There's that moment, right? The anticipation, the, like the, the bridal party walks in. And we're like, oh, okay. And like maybe some flowers throwing down. But then the mother of the bride stands up. And everybody goes, it's time. And they all rise, <laughs> right? They all rise. And in walks the bride and her dad, like on her dad's arm, you know, and they're, and they're walking together typically. And everybody's just like, oh, she's so beautiful. And they're all crying, right? Snot's happening everywhere. Ah! And they get married. And then comes the reception. And you got a DJ dropping some sick beats. Or the Macarena. I don't know why, but the Macarena always shows up. <laughs> and that's it. One day. Now, in the first century, completely different. When something like this. A couple meets at some point. But the reason they get married is because their parents decided that they should. Whoa. And, and a lot of times they could say no, but really it just came down to who does mom and dad think you should marry? Okay, that's who you're marrying. Huh. And then it wasn't about the bride really that much at all. It was about the entrance of the groom. And so here's what happened. Like couples come get married and they would announce that this is the date that so-and-so is going to get married. And so on that date, the bride with all her, you know, her friends are getting prepared. They're getting prettyified, getting beautified over it at her parents' house. And then the groom on that day, would come marching down the streets with his closest guys to go come for his bride. And he would show up at her parents and people would announce, the groom is coming, the groom is here, the groom. And they would knock on their door, 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 door. He would take his bride and they would go and be married and they would celebrate. And the celebration could go as long as a week. Yeah. Big feast, wine flowing freely slaughtered calf. I mean, just epic, epic party. And it's that kind of wedding that this story takes place. You've had the groom. After much anticipation, he has arrived and taken his bride. And so it says this verse two, Jesus's mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And check this out. When the wine was gone, big faux pas. So here's what's happened. You can either read it that Jesus brought his disciples and they weren't invited and they consumed food. I don't know. Or, or that they didn't prepare well enough and now they're about to experience some shame in the community because <laughs> they consumed it all. And so, look, so the wine wasn't there. And it says, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, here's just what we need to understand going here. All right, let's, let's go back. Yeah, we're good. All right, here's what we need to understand. All right, in the first century, again, like with, with Jewish people, like, Jew, like Jesus is Jewish, his mom's Jewish, okay, they had a belief in the arrival of this figure called the Messiah or the Christ. It was God's anointed and appointed king, the one who would represent God on the earth, who would bring God's reign on the earth, who would end injustice, who would restore God's people. I mean, they're looking for, for, looking for the Messiah, looking for him all the time, looking for the day of the Lord with the Messiah, okay? And here's typically how they picture the arrival of the Messiah. You should just know this. They pictured it as a feast and a banquet. They believed that when the Messiah came, he would have this huge feast and the, and the, the wine would be free flowing and everyone would just be celebrating. Yes, God's justice is finally going to be this big image of a wedding feast over and over and over again. And so you have this moment 
where they've run out of wine, and Jesus' mom, who knows some stuff about him, like if you read the other Gospels, like with the birth narratives, like the angel pierced her, like you're going you're gonna, to uh, have a son, he'll be God with us, right? I mean, like it's this big deal, right? Okay, like she knows something, but she has no concept of Jesus being a suffering Messiah at all. They didn't view the, the idea that Messiah would suffer and die. It was that he was going to be a military king. And so here she comes. They've run out of wine, and Jesus' mom, who, again, thinking in this vein, like the Messiah will arrive and bring a feast, looks at this and goes, golden opportunity for Jesus to reveal himself. And she, you know, it's this kind of like motherly push right now. Moms, you know what I'm talking about, right? You have this ability to ask things of your kids, even though you've technically not asked anything. Right, like, they don't have any more wine. Just saying, like, you know, I, there's, I heard that so-and-so uh, has soccer tryouts. If you, I mean, I'm not saying that you have to, but if you, you know, you want to, like, like, so-and-so needs a friend right now. I'm not saying you should call them, but it's like, it's same deal. Don't act like you don't. All right, look, like, some of the ladies are like, I've never, you're a liar. So look, <laughs> okay, all right. It's the same idea. It's this motherly push, this they don't have any more wine. Why, why don't you just go ahead and provide the wine? Because that'll show everybody that you're the Messiah. Like, you can go ahead and you, you can get your kingdom right now. It'll be great. To which Jesus responds in verse 4, Woman. <laughs> we'll come back to that. <laughs> why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. So let's break this down. So just out of the gate, let's understand something, okay? <laughs> Gentlemen, I do not recommend addressing anyone of the opposite gender in this way. <laughs> okay? In our culture, it's a mistake. It's, it's derogatory. I mean, it's just rude, okay? But something about language, you have to understand, language is relative, right? I mean, there's culture to it. There's, there's like, I mean, different, obviously different words. And to them, it's not an insult. In the same way, like, listen, if I'm in this room, I'm like, hey, man, okay, I, I've addressed your gender, but I'm not casting anyone down in doing that. For, the, for him right now, like, he's, he's not being, like, he's, he's, he's really not tearing Mary apart. But he is doing something significant, okay? He's redefining their relationship. Notice he doesn't call her mom. Mom, come on, mom. He doesn't do that. He said he's making a clean break right now. And here's basically what he's saying. Listen, okay, like when this idea of my hour is not yet come, he goes, basically, I'm not acting under anyone's authority but God's. You can't, like, the way we're going for me, it used to be like when he was a kid, he would go where she wanted him to go. He would do what she wanted him to do. But now, listen, something has changed. No, I'm not going to go anywhere other than where my Heavenly Father says to go. I'm not going to do something just because you think that I should. Let me just preach that for a moment. For how many of us? God's goodness is only defined by Him doing what we think He should do. At which point, God's no bigger than us, by the way. But that I listen, can, can we trust him that when he goes the way we don't think he should go, that he's still good, still faithful, still right, still true? <laughs> Woman, why do you involve me? Or another way to translate would be, what do my interests have in common with yours? Okay, I understand that for you, this, this little party, this little feast, this little thing that you want me to do right here, you want me to set up something for myself right now, you understand our, our hearts are not in alignment right now. What I want and what you want are not the same thing. 
And he says, my hour has not yet come. And this is a term that Jesus uses over and over again to talk about his death and resurrection and second coming. I'll give you an example. Mark 14, 41, when Jesus is arrested, it says, he said this out loud, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. And so when Jesus says, listen, my hour has not yet come, he's going, it's not my time to be glorified. It's why, fun fact, by the way, when he does a miracle here, you'll notice he never highlights himself. He just, he's just content just to blend right back into the crowd. Like, like, go on, like when we go on the rest of the story, notice that. He's never like, yes, and I am the king of kings. So he never does it. He's just right back in. Okay, this is important because basically what he's saying is I'm going to step somewhere, but it's not going to be the way you think it should be. I have a greater mission you do not know about. My hour has not yet come. But here's the fun thing. Jesus' mom knows him real well. And she knows that he typically does not abide heartbreak or injustice. He doesn't. So even though he's like, listen, I'm not about what you're about. Here's her response, verse 5. She says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's what he said, uh-huh. Go do whatever he tells you to do. <laughs> so what does he say? Verse 6, nearby stood sti- or six stone jar- or water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So these giant jugs of water holding 20 to 30 gallons. And basically what they were used for was just like, you know, Jewish people, they, they were under the Old Testament law, like 600 commands. And one of the things had to do with cleanliness, right? So people, they would, when they entered the house, certainly when they had entered the feast, the fact that these were empty means like the guests all used them. They would clean their feet. They would wash off the dirt from the roads, not track in the house. And they would also wash their hands to make themselves clean for the feast. These jars represent the Old Jewish law. These jars represent this sort of relationship with God where you do something, you keep a rule, and God will like you. So check what Jesus, I mean, it's so much bigger than the beverage. No, but really it is. So I want you to let's, let's stay together. Let's just track a little bit together because I mean, this, is, I mean this, this moment is about to be incredibly significant. And so Jesus says to the servants, Fill the jars with water, which is not a small task. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. The master of the banquet is basically a person who's been hired to keep the festivities going for the length of the party. It's a big job. So it says they did so, okay? And the master of the banquet tasted the water that, look at this, had been turned into wine. When did it happen? I don't know. Could be that as they were even carrying it to him, it was still water. Regardless, something has taken place. The water has been turned into wine, and suddenly we understand something about the person of Jesus, that he's greater than the law. Okay, That up until this moment, it's been about keeping the rules. It's been about the ceremonial clean and unclean. But Jesus has brought the feast. Come on. Jesus, like the, the hope of the Messiah that he would bring these things onto the earth. Yeah, he did it. But in this moment, he's not looking for any glory or spotlight on himself. But there's just something about the way that Jesus does things. That this guy sips this wine, okay, and he has no idea where it came from, right? So it says, it says uh, though the servants known that they had, they had drawn the water. They knew where it was from, but, but the master of it didn't. And so check the next part. He says, then he called the, uh, the bridegroom aside. So here's like the groom who's the man of the hour. He's like, dude. And he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first. 
and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. Duh. You, you show off your best stuff while people can taste it. <laughs> Sorry, Baptists. So anyway, look. <laughs> but you have saved the best until now. You have saved. Listen, this is, why would you do this? All right, the way it works is you, you like, once people are like, they're, they're, they're drunk, then you give them the stuff that, that's, that's terrible, that's cheap, that isn't good, but you've saved the best for right now because you see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Jesus, even just out of who he is, points to his Messiahship. If I could say it this way, back to our first question, when we were asking, okay, why follow Jesus in the face of all these things, in the face of the brokenness of the world and the imminent disappointment and the way that things fall apart, why in the world should you or I follow Jesus? Well, according to this, it's really simple. Because Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's better than religion. He's better than you keep these rules, you work really hard, you kind of re, t- t- create a, a resume with God. Be dedicated, and then God will accept you. You know the problem with that? Is as good as you could do, it would never be good enough. I mean, as much as you could pour your heart and your soul into something, you could always do a little bit more. And in the face of ceremony, in the face of working hard and trying hard to attain something from God, Jesus shows up and brings the something from God. Jesus shows up and in the face of ceremony, he brings the feast. Jesus is better than religion. He's better than the law. He's better than working hard for something and you placing your confidence in your own purity, which by the way, is not that high. But it goes beyond that. Let me just speak to this for a moment. Okay, in an age, because I just want to, in an age that religion is frowned upon, it would be easy for me to leave it here and us all feel good about how righteous we are. So let me, let me just check this for a moment because it, it's, it's fashionable to take a pot shot at one of the primary ways that God speaks and, and, and ministers to us, the body together. So let me, let me just take this. Okay, notice that the wine that Jesus gives is better than the wine they could have provided for themselves. Here's why this is important, okay? It means Jesus is better than the life you could give yourself. Can I, can I? One of the issues that we have here in Lewis, Rehoboth, Dewey, is we got a real problem with alcoholism. We do. I mean, just like go to Dewey on a Friday or Saturday night and try to disagree with me. And there are so many people where the thing that they're living for is that weekend where they can just drink away however bad they feel about themselves. And that's where you're like, like, if you've never sort of mentally gone past high school where you think that like, hey, this is what makes me cool. Like, no, it doesn't. Okay, and you're just going out there, we get just hoping that this next drink will satisfy something in you. Here's the thing, I don't envy you because I've been given a better drink. You understand? Like, I don't envy the person who's drowning their sorrows away in a <laughs> flask or a pint because I've been given the better life. I've been given the satisfaction that you know nothing of. Jesus is better. You don't believe me? 
Let me give you some practical Jesus' better things that happen in the life of believers right now. Check this out. Here's some things Jesus gives us. Number one, he gives us free forgiveness for all our sins. Free. That means, like, as much as you want to, and no TED Talk could ever do that. As much as you want to kind of spin things in your favor and convince the rest of the world that you're so great, maybe you are, you've still got some damage in your ledger. You've still got some stuff on your record, and so have I. But here's the thing. In Jesus, free forgiveness of our sins, meaning Jesus will take them all away and make us right with God. Ephesians 1, 7, 8 puts it like this. It says, in him, talking about Jesus, we have redemption, which means the buying of our freedom, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the, look at this word, riches of God's grace, meaning God has so much grace, meaning God has so much unmerited, unearned favor. God has so much compassion, so much mercy, so much love, so much kindness, God's grace, the riches of God's grace, meaning God has so much grace, he has grace left over. God has so much grace. It's like he has a second bank account over in Switzerland with so much grace in it. Like, that's how much grace God has for you and for me. Okay, listen, that he lavished on us, like abundantly poured out his love and mercy and compassion on you and me with how much, with wisdom and understanding, meaning, and just let me preach this for somebody who's been a believer for a while, meaning God didn't make a mistake when he saved you. Hey, for the one like, okay, like you, you started to follow the Lord and you had so much energy behind it. Look how good I'm doing. Then you fell down. He knew exactly when and where you would do that. And he saved you anyway. You've never surprised God. And you've never for a moment made him regret saving you. With all wisdom and understanding. And the best part is that's free. That's free. That means when my head hits the pillow tonight, I don't have to go there with any shame or regret. My sin has been wiped away, blotted out by Christ. I don't have to go through life wishing I was better and wondering what could or would have been. Free. Meaning I have peace with God. I don't have to worry about whether or not God likes me, whether or not God wants me, whether or not God will save me. No, no. Free. Grace. Un earned kindness, unearned favor. And where does that come from? Jesus. You know what else Jesus gives us? He gives us friendship with the Holy Spirit. Friendship with the Holy Spirit. Man. <laughs> you know how great the Spirit of God is? That he's, he's forming us to be new people internally? My gosh. He's doing it. That the Holy Spirit's so great. The book of Romans says that when we don't even know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit prays for us. Like when I don't know the right words, God, the Holy Spirit, speaks the right words on my behalf. Whoa. God, the Holy Spirit, who do you, to transition from faith as, an, as a theology and faith as a philosophy to faith as a reality, do you know that because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ is on the earth, if you are in him, you can talk to God and have him talk back? Do, do you know that? Like I can walk through life with my Savior who's in, around, through me. Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit in this way in John 14, verses 16 and 17. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another, meaning like him, 
Okay, another advocate, and this word advocate means one who works on your behalf to help you and be with you forever. Spirit of truth, be with you forever. If you've been raised in a legalistic church, how many of you believe that if you sinned one too many times, God would abandon you? Come on. Whoever told you that didn't read this. Be with you forever. Forever. And we get him through Christ. We get friendship with the Holy Spirit. And we're still not done. Why follow Jesus? Because Jesus gives us a better way of life. Better way of life. God, the author of life who made you, who made me, knows how life should be lived. Because he's smart. And he knows it better than the life that we could plan for ourselves. So he's spoken through his word to instruct us how to enjoy this life, how to get the most out of this life, how to make it so that as we go through this life, we live with fewer regrets and less damage upon ourselves. And that's what we get through Jesus. Jesus says it like this in John 10.10. 10, he says, the thief, talking about the devil, talking about the world, talking about anyone or anything that takes your eyes, off of the life that God has for you. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full or have it abundantly. And how many of us, we've only ever thought of Jesus as a buzzkill. I came to give you life, actual life, true life, abundant life, life to the full. I came to give you the life that you were designed for. I came to give you the life, the only life that will ever satisfy your soul. And everything else wants to vie for your attention, and everything else wants to pull you away from that. But I came to give you actual, authentic, God-breathed life. Who don't want some of that? And because I'm a preacher... Let me give you one other one. I feel obliged. It's kind of in my contract. What else does Jesus give us? He gives us the hope of eternity. Heaven. Yeah. Which, by the way, why follow Jesus? Well, the alternative's pretty bad. Hey, man, you want to go spend eternity with the devil in hell? No, nah, bro, I'm good. He gives us eternity. But, but for here, for right now, here's what this means. It means that when this world for a time inflicts suffering on us, and it won't be forever, but it will be for a time. It means we don't mourn like everybody else. It means we don't fear like everybody else. Here's the reality of you and me. One day, statistically speaking, we're going to stop breathing. And we're going to drop to the ground and be no different than the dust that formed us. Here's the thing I want you to know. Same thing, same thing, same thing. One day I'm going to die, but in that moment I will be more alive than I've ever been. And the same is true for you. We have the hope of eternity. I don't have to worry or guess about whether or not God wants me. I don't have to guess about where I'm going when that moment happens. I know it. And when I lose somebody... If they're in Christ, I feel that loss. And it stinks because I miss them. But I know they've got more joy than they've ever had. Paul writes it this way in, in 1 Corinthians 15, reflecting on the cross and resurrection of Jesus. He says, death has been swallowed up in victory. 
I love that line. It's like death has been consumed in the victory of Christ. It's been swallowed up in victory. Where, oh, death, is your victory? Where, oh, death, is your sting? Just mocking death. Where, oh, death, is your sting? What you got? Yeah, but here's the deal. If death is not permanent, what does it have? And we have that in Christ. We have eternity in him. Why? Follow him. Because these are unique things that happen in our life that the rest of the world will never get on their own. Like, if you don't have Jesus, what is it that you're hoping for? A spin class? N new show on Netflix? Like, like what is it? Like, what's, what is the central thing that you're looking forward to? No. Why follow Jesus? Because he's better. He's like, life in him is better. And I'm telling you this, but here's the reality, okay? And, and most like, we taste, we go, yes, and it just resonates with our souls. We hear the word of God read, and we go, yes, okay. But how many of us, when push comes to shove and the moment of affliction hits, forget all of it, right? I'm not judging, like, but like, here's how, here's like, we can all agree on this right now, but all of us have this uncanny ability to instantly forget God's faithfulness when push comes to shove. Have you noticed this? Watch, internal question right now, don't answer out loud. How many of you can think of a time God answered your prayer? Many of you remember right now, as I'm asking that question, here's your internal thought. You go like, I know he has, but I, I, just, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Like, uh. Okay, but if I were to ask, what's the biggest way God has let you down? You would know instantly every detail, even how, what, probably what you were wearing when it happened. Like, what is that? Well, what it is is that you and I are wired as such that we easily gravitate towards the falsehood and gravitate towards the negativity and forget the faithfulness of God. And I'm not judging. Okay, like, seriously, I, I did it this week. This week. Like, Wednesday, I had this moment. Sitting at my little table at Starbucks, just typing away on my computer, you know. And, and, and just the, the morning was not my morning. Like, just things went out. I'm sure you've never had a week where you're like, oh, this stinks, right? <laughs> and I had one of those mornings. And even though I've got a great group of people around me who love me, I mean, I'm a loved dude. I'm still sitting there in my iPad typing, and I'm just like, God, I feel so alone. And as I say this, I'm sure you've never felt that way. As I say this, an email just pops right into my inbox in front of me from a person I haven't talked to in months. It's like, hey, man, I just want you to know, I think you're great praying for you. hope everything's going well. Da, da, da. And as I'm saying, I feel so alone. Okay. I was like, oh, my gosh. Minutes later, because the mood has struck me now, texting a friend, Man, would you just pray for me? I feel so alone. Texting another human being who I know is there for me, who will be praying for me that I feel alone. Why? Because there's just this thing in us where we so quickly forget the ways God has been faithful to us. And we believe the promises. We believe that they're true. But here's the thing. Words will not anchor us. And so I want to give you something before we go that will. 
So that when you forget, and you will, and when you're miserable, and you will be, and when you wonder where God was, this is the thing that you fall back on. You ready? Okay, John 2, 11. So Jesus does this miracle, says, when Jesus did here in Cana, what was the first, actually, what Jesus did here in Cana was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And look at this line. And his disciples believed in him. Jesus does this miracle and they believe. Here's why this is so important, okay? If you were to trace back the faith of the early church, and you would see these men and women who chose to follow Jesus and lost everything for it. Do you know what it was that made them endure in their faith? It wasn't the teachings of Christ. Like, as they're being beaten and killed, nobody's like, yeah, but the prodigal son. Like, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. What they died for was not what Jesus said, but what they saw. This is why this is important, Okay. When, like, the thing that anchored them in life was not these great moral teachings. It was that they believed that Jesus died and he rose from the dead and they were witnesses of it and they went to the grave proclaiming that. Now, by the way, if Christianity is a sham, you have a problem explaining this because they gained nothing for doing so. And they had no guarantee it would survive past them. But this is the thing that kept them going, okay? Like, why is it the disciples believe in Jesus now? Because they saw him do a thing in front of them and they couldn't deny it. Now, here's why I'm preaching this to you, okay? Because you go, well, that'd be great. And if I saw God do something supernatural, I would absolutely believe it. You already have. Here's the deal. If you were to travel right now to Israel, you would find a tomb that's empty. In fact, there's a plaque over it that says, he is not here, he's risen. And, when, and no matter how you feel, the tomb is still empty. No matter whether you, like you question if God is there or not, the tomb is still empty, and it's going to be empty forever. And if the tomb is empty, it means Jesus really came into the world. He really did die for your sin and mine. And he really did rise from the dead for you. If he rose from the dead, do you know what that means? That means that God hears you when you pray because you matter to him. If Jesus really rose from the dead, it means you know exactly what's on the other side of death and you don't have to live in fear of it anymore. If Jesus really did rise from the dead, you have the promise of the Holy Spirit being with you. If Jesus rose from the dead, it means you have a hope that no one can take from you. And so listen, I told you earlier, listen, follow Jesus. Why? Because he's better. But here's the bigger reason in an age that like, we only follow things because of how they make us feel. That's not a reason to be a Jesus follower. Here's the better one. Why follow Jesus? Because it's true. Because it's true. Here's the microphone. Because he really did die for your sin. He really did rise from the dead. And every time you question it, the tomb is still empty. And every time you wonder if he cares, the, the tomb is still empty. And every time you wonder if there is a God somewhere out there and what would it mean for him to walk in the world and what does he think about the world and what does he think about you and what does he think about me, the tomb is empty and you can know exactly the answer to that question. And when you feel down, Jesus is still alive. And when you feel like God has let you down, 
you know he's been more faithful to you than anyone ever. And when you wonder where he is, you know that tomb is empty. And so he has promised you life. And here's the good news. If you want that better life that he offers, that true life that the tomb testifies, it's free. And all you got to do is ask. So I want to give you an opportunity to, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you would like to receive the life that's only found in Christ, I want you to pray with me. And here's what we're going to pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me. God, I want to just confess right now. Um, that I've sinned. There have been times I knew it was right, I chose not to do it. There have been times I've lived for me and not you, and I'm sorry. But I believe that you sent Jesus to die for me. And I believe you raised him from the dead so that I can have new life with you. So God, I'm asking you for that new life. I turn from my sin right now and I turn to you. Please fill me with your spirit. Please show me how to live for and with you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.